This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. FM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Tech Talk this morning. Today, I'll be speaking with Umesh Maravan, the research director of the Circular Initiative, who will be sharing some uh, invaluable insights from their latest report, and it's the climate benefits of plastic waste management in India and Southeast Asia. Now, plastic pollution is undeniably a critical environmental and economic challenge of our era. With countries like Malaysia losing a staggering $1.1 billion per year due to the mismanagement of over 1 million tons of plastic. This loss is equivalent to around 80% of the material value of plastics being discarded instead of being recycled into valuable materials. Despite the recent spotlight on this crisis and negotiations from for a groundbreaking plastics treaty, the actions undertaken to date seem to be falling short. In regions like Malaysia, the prevalent mismanagement of plastic waste through open burning and incineration is alarming. The Circulate Initiative's report, utilizing its innovative plastic life cycle assessment calculator for the environment and society, or places, unveils how substantial investments in waste management and recycling can be a game changer in combating both plastic pollution and climate change. Remarkably, by recycling all mismanaged plastic waste, Malaysia can slash greenhouse gas emissions by 9 million tons, which is around uh, the equivalent of removing 2 million cars off the road for a year. Umesh is going to be here to delve deeper into how Malaysia and other countries can strategically address their climate challenges through proficient plastic waste management, the role of industry players in amplifying recycling infrastructure, and how tools like Places can guide investors and corporations in assessing opportunities in the plastics circular economy. We're also going to be exploring the comparative scale of plastic pollution in Malaysia versus other Southeast Asian countries, discussing feasible economic strategies to reclaim the lost value from discarded plastics and understand the potential of investments in waste management in reducing greenhouse gas emissions across South and Southeast Asia. So stay tuned as we hope to unravel the intricate layers of plastic pollution. It's economic repercussions and the transformative solutions that can lead us toward a more sustainable future. We're also going to be learning about the future initiatives planned by the Circulate Initiative to mitigate plastic pollution and climate change and discuss how collaborative efforts can enhance our ability to tackle these intertwined challenges effectively. Umesh, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me to the show, Richard. It's a pleasure being here today. It's a pleasure getting you here. Now, I suppose I should start with, I mean, I've tried to explain a little bit there in in the introduction, but understanding the scale of the problem, can we talk a little bit about that? And how does the plastic pollution situation in Malaysia compare to other countries here in Southeast Asia, especially in terms of like the economic implications? Certainly, Richard. I mean, I think let's start with the global and the big picture, and then we can drill down specifically to Malaysia. Mm. So ocean plastic pollution is a significant global problem estimated 140 million tons of plastic have accumulated in the world's oceans and rivers already. In the absence of interventions, plastic waste entering the oceans annually could nearly triple by 2040. Specific to Malaysia, Malaysia generates about 14 million tons of municipal solid waste every year. An estimated 13 to 17% is plastic waste. That's about two, two and a half billion tons. 
And now within that plastic waste, what's important to remember is that 70 to 80% of that is actually plastics that we use and discard on a day-to-day basis. Right. So without getting into too much technicality, well, that's what we call as polyethylene terephthalate, PET, HDP, LDP, and so on. And mm. we simplify that. So PET is what you usually have as your plastic water bottles or your mineral water bottles that you buy. HDP, typically the shampoo bottles that you have, the rigid plastics, which are not transparent. Mm-hmm. LDPE is usually your plastic carry bags and then polypropylene, which comes in various forms and for various uses. So these are the four plastic sizes which are most commonly used and an estimated 81% of that value of these resins, like you mentioned at the top of the program, is actually lost. Mm. What that means is that as a resource which can be utilized again, that doesn't come back into the system and it becomes a make-use-discard system where the plastic ends up as waste and it ends up polluting our land, our rivers and oceans, like I said, and also the environment. Yeah. Now, like you said, if you were to quantify that material value loss into a dollar value, that's an estimated $1 billion, which is actually lost just in Malaysia every year. Mm. And that's the kind of challenge we need to work together to try and fix. Mm. And when we look at the region, you know, whether it's Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia, how does Malaysia compare? How bad are we? How bad is Malaysia compared to the other countries surrounding us? I think it would be unfair to make a comparison between any country for that matter. And like you said, there is a global plastic treaty which is being discussed. Mm. And that means this is a problem which is not isolated to a single country. Right. A, it is a problem which happens in any country where there is a significant issue mm. with waste management infrastructure. Mm. What has happened is that if you look since the 1950s when plastic production started to grow, consumption started to grow, but waste management infrastructure, recycling infrastructure just didn't keep up. Right. So with that, any of our markets, any emerging economy for that matter has the same problem. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it's not a problem which is confined to a single country what it is transboundary in nature because if the plastic ends up in an ocean chances are that what ends up and the west coast will find its way to the east coast or vice versa depending on the ocean currents yeah so it's a problem we need to think of one which needs concerted action it needs countries to come together and solve other than look at it isolatedly in a single location That's a very politically correct answer from you, Umesh. Thank you very much. (laughs) um, Okay, let's move on a little bit. And of course, let's talk a little bit about some of those economic implications that we're looking at. You know, as you mentioned, it's around a billion US dollars per year due to the discard of plastics. What strategies, economic strategies in particular, do you think can be implemented to recover some of this lost value? I mean, we talk about using less, we talk about recycling more. Is there something else we could be doing? Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting at the top of the call, you mentioned about places, which is one of those calculators or tools which we develop to explain the connection between climate and plastics. Yeah. But as a nonprofit, which is looking at helping decision makers have better tools and data for decision making, Mm -hmm. we knew that one of the biggest issues was that there's no transparency in terms of capital flows. So nobody knew about even 12 months ago, nobody knew how much money is coming into the space. Who's doing what? What part of the value chain is receiving investment? Is more of the money, for example, going into waste management and recycling? Or are solutions such as alternatives to plastic, refill and reuse receiving monies? Mm -hmm. So we launched that tool earlier this year and we have an update coming up again just to show that, A, this is an investable space. 
there's a certain quantum of money that is actually coming into the space and how it is spread both geographically and also in terms of solutions. Mm-hmm. So our analysis actually revealed that only 850 million, and I'll tell you the gap, only 850 million US dollars of private investments came through annually between 2018 and September 2022. And that's an annual figure. And let me put that in context for you. So OECD actually did a study. They said annually $27 billion. So I said 850 million before. Now I'm saying $27 billion are needed to have proper waste management infrastructure in these markets, in emerging economies alone. And they're not even talking about solutions like your plastic alternators, refill, nothing. That's the financing gap that you're looking at. Now, to address those gaps, you need money. You need money to come through and make sure that a lot of these solutions, it's not just waste management, it's not just recycling, but solutions such as refill and reuse are supported. Solutions such as alternatives to plastics are supported. Only then will you be able to take a systems perspective to tackling what um, huge global challenges. Mm -mm. Now, let me put that into context specifically for Malaysia. You would have already seen the Malaysia Plastic Sustainability Roadmap. And the roadmap has actually put out some ambitious goals, 25% post-consumer plastic packaging to be recycled by 2025, 15% average recycling content by 2030, which is great if that happens, 76% collection for recycling rate by 2030, and so on. Now, obviously, with any policy measure, the proof lies in its implementation. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of having these policies in place. How do we make sure that these policies translate into action? How do we make sure that we get that investment through policy tailwinds coming into this space and putting the money in, which is actually needed, and Mm. addressing that financing gap, which I just mentioned. Mm. I think one of the things that I see, which is unfortunate, is the enforcement of some of these policies, you know, and the idea of... um, I'll give you an example, a personal example. You know, my the people who dispose of my trash have this policy of divide up your trash, you know, so we know what is recycled. And we know for a fact that it goes into the same place. You know, very little of it is actually recycled or separated. The idea is there. It's put upon us that they are doing these things, but the actual implementation is not there. How do you address something like that, though? You know, how do you make sure that the policies that you have in place are actually being enforced. I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> challenge. <laughs> I mean, the simple reality is that if you look at local municipalities, local government yeah. units in any of our market, they stretch for every dollar that they have. Yeah, for sure. Especially over the past three years where COVID hit, the priorities mm. completely shifted. Yeah. To make sure that healthcare took the first seat in terms right. of budget allocation. Yeah, yeah. Now, what you said is really true. I mean, I think I've heard countless stories of people being frustrated with the fact that they do all of this washing, cleaning, segregation. They give it to the waste collector who comes to their doorstep. And the next thing that they see is they put it all together in, in the, the same Yes, system. yes. And there's nothing worse than that. And then what happens is you become demotivated as an individual. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Right. The change that is happening to some degree is that there are what's called as material recovery centers. Mm-hmm. where even when the material is aggregated at that point in time, it goes to a center where there's further segregation of the material, which happens, centralized yeah. segregation, decentralized centralized segregation of the material, and then whatever extractable value can be derived from that material is extracted. Mm-hmm. So that does happen, but it is unfortunate. And we are talking about a situation where you have waste management service providers coming to your doorstep and picking up material. Mm. 
spare a thought for those locations where that doesn't even exist. Yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. those are the kind of challenges we need to start thinking through in terms of how do we make sure that there is base management infrastructure, mm-hmm. there are policies which support private capital comes in, and where these are in place, this is actually enforced. And the sad reality is that it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Hold that thought, Umesh. We need to take a short break. Folks, I'm on the phone with Umesh Madhavan. He is the research director of the Circulate Initiative, who is sharing with me invaluable insights from the latest report. And it's titled The Climate Benefits of Plastic Waste Management in India and Southeast Asia. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Begin Fun Moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Tech Talk. My name is Rich Bradbury, and I'm on the phone with Umesh Madhavan, the research director of the Circulate Initiative, who is sharing with me invaluable insights from their report, The Climate Benefits of Plastic Waste Management in India and Southeast Asia. Umesh, just before the break, we were talking about you know some of the economic implications and our perhaps personal frustrations of some of this stuff not being segregated and what that could lead to. But let's talk a little bit about places that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Plastic Lifecycle Assessment Calculator for the Environment of Society. Can you elaborate how that aids in understanding the environmental impact of plastic waste management for people who might not know? Certainly, Richard. I think we have to go back to first things first, as I put it, which is that the connection between plastics and climate change is not really well understood. Not many people know that these are two interconnected stressors on the environment and plastics contribute to climate change at all stages of its life cycle. I think that's the starting point. Everybody needs to realize where this plastics comes from and how it contributes to climate change. So let me put that in perspective and then I'll come to the tool. The plastics life cycle, and when I say the life cycle, that's all the way from extraction of the fossil fuel to conversion to use and then waste. It's estimated to contribute about 1.8 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions in 2019. Now, when you say 1.8 gigatons, all that you know is, okay, you know giga and you think that that's a big number. It is a big number. So just to put that in context, if plastics and the associated emissions were a country, that would be the fourth largest emitter after the US, China, and India. Wow. That's how, that's how significant the emissions as a result of plastic is. And now if you're thinking about that, the absence of intervention, the emissions from the plastic life cycle is projected to double, representing 4.5% of global emissions. Mm. So that's the scale of change that we're looking at. Now, for us, as we realize that as investors, policymakers and stakeholders, they need solutions to address the climate change crisis. One of those tools which did not exist was to understand what does plastic waste management and the associated emissions look like? Mm-hmm. There is a tool which is available through the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, which is specific to U.S., but there's nothing specific to our markets Mm -hmm. in South and Southeast Asia. And that's critical to understand because when you look at plastic waste management, in emerging economies, the informal sector is a critical part of that value chain. Yeah. How we manage plastic waste is very different from what happens in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. So in a lot of our countries, simply because we don't have the waste management infrastructure, like I mentioned before, people end up burning the plastic waste. People end up disposing it wherever they can. 
Mm-hmm. Now, all of these are contributors to what's the emissions impact in each country. And how that mm-hmm. happens also varies. Mm-hmm. Now, when we launched Places, we said, let's launch a tool which is contextualized to each country. So, for example, what happens, what's the kind of plastic which is generated in Malaysia? What kind of value chain exists with respect to that plastic waste? Where does it end up? Now, having mm-hmm. considered all of that, would we do what's called as a life cycle analysis? And then we look at what's the climate impact of that particular plastic waste originating in that country, in that context. Mm-hmm. So what we developed this first uh, open access climate calculator, it's free to use. It tracks not only emissions, it tracks also energy, water consumption of diverting plastic away from these end of life phase. So for example, if you were to move plastic away from ending up in a landfill towards recycling, what does it mean from an emissions perspective from an energy savings perspective, from a mm. water reduction perspective. Now, places we relaunched and we've continued to build on it was our response to the demand for accurate, market-specific data which decision makers can use. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that people have really found it useful because now you can justify environmental and investment, environmental investment decisions. Yeah. And I can give you a few cases later on as to how I see users using that tool. Uh, for their decision making. I suspect when they start seeing, you know, figures in, in the gigatons, you know, that's a point where you you have to start start taking it seriously. You know, the data is there, the information is there, and you can't deny it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, okay, um, let, let's talk a little bit then about greenhouse gas emission reduction. Um, this is a topic that, you know, I've been speaking about and hearing about reduction of greenhouse gases since I was a kid. I'm 47 now, you know, and it was always, oh, we'll do more next year. We'll do more next year. We'll do more next year and we'll reduce. And I, you know, these ideas of reduce, reuse, recycle have been ingrained in me since I was a child, right? But when we're talking about some of these numbers, which terrify me, by the way, how feasible do you think it is for Malaysia to achieve this potential reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by recycling all the mismanaged plastic waste? Yeah, sure. I think the term mismanaged plastic waste needs to be understood a little bit. Mm. So what do we mean by mismanaged plastic waste and how does each of these components of mismanaged plastic waste contribute to emissions? So what mismanaged plastic waste refers to is uncollected waste, yeah. improperly disposed of waste. So it could be littered waste, it could be waste disposable, even in open downs. Mm-mm. could be waste which ends up in an unsanitary landfill, so it is not a proper control landfill. Or, like I said before, it could be open burning. Mm-mm. Any of these constitutes mismanaged plastic waste. Now, our research report released alongside the tool revealed that if you were to successfully recycle all mismanaged plastic waste, and that's a challenge, and I'll tell you why it is a challenge, Malaysia can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by about 9 million tons. And like you said previously, that's equivalent of taking 2 million cars off the road for a year. Yeah. Now, within that, let's start identifying the hotspots. Now, when you think of each of these places where plastic ends up, they have different impact from an emissions perspective. Mm. Like I said big, at the beginning, burning plastic waste is the worst thing that you can do. It's simply because of the associated emissions impact. It's still bad that the plastic ends up in a landfill, but from an emissions perspective, it is less problematic than burning. Right. Now, each, yeah. of, each of these have different impacts, but you have to remember that if that plastic actually is ending up in a landfill and leaching happens and there is that 
chemicals which go back into the our waterways, for example. It doesn't come through from an emissions perspective. There mm-hmm. are other environmental hazards that you need to consider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But purely from an emissions perspective, just I would one ton of plastic waste away from open burning. And how do you do that? Have proper waste management infrastructure, make sure it is properly treated, make sure misman- whatever value you can recover from the plastic is recovered can result in avoiding three tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's a ratio, one is to three. Every right. ton of plastic, you try and avoid ending up being mismanaged and being openly burned. That's three tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So how do we do that? I mean, the reality is that as much as reuse, reduce and recycle is ingrained in you and for a lot of the other listeners of your podcast as well, the reality is that it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by one individual. We can all take small yeah. steps, yeah. but you have to have a systems change. Mm-mm. It'll take a lot of things. It'll take consumer behavior change. So we'll have to continue what we're doing. It will take reduction in the purchase of avoidable plastic. We'll have to, I mean, I keep reiterating this wherever I go. I say the most effective plastic pollution uh, strategy that you have is not to buy it. Yeah. Also, wherever you don't buy that plastic which you didn't need, that will help. Mm. Designing plastics for recycling, that will help. And then mm. once you go through the life cycle and it becomes waste, to make sure that there is a proper waste management infrastructure, so there's a proper waste infrastructure for recycling to reduce leakage and to support that circular cycle as far as we can. Okay. I've got a couple more questions before I let you go. I guess one of the ones is um, we were talking about the value chain and the plastic circular economy. Now, obviously people out there have to be made aware that there is a potential for profit within this industry as well, somehow, somewhere, which could benefit everybody. You know, you're helping to take plastic out of the chain somehow. What kind of um, support are these corporations who might have or want to assess opportunities within that value chain? What can they do? Firstly, I think when I referenced the investment tracker earlier, I said that was to show the transparency which is needed in this space and Mm. and to show that this is an investable space. Yeah. So our effort with the investment tracker is to show that there is a trail of investments which have happened. There are certain specialist investors, venture capitals, who are actually putting money into the space. There are people who've got in, put in money. I mean, obviously, this is not a sector where your typical PE, private equity, venture capital cycles would work and you can get in and get out after three years. Yeah. You need much more patient capital. Yeah, yeah. So people need to put in money. There is a need for a little bit more patient capital. There needs to be a, a little bit more a need for a risk-averse capital as well. The time horizons are long. So mm-hmm. investors need to start thinking that you need to put the money in there and then this will take a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you also need to start thinking that a lot of the enterprises who are trying to solve this problem are not looking for money to scale. Right. right. It's, it's not your typical scale up, start up, scale up, and then exit. That's not the business mm-hmm. model. Mm-hmm. These are people who started these businesses because they feel there's a local, social, or environmental problem that needs to be resolved. Yeah. Now, yeah. we need capital to support organizations such as these. Yeah. Only then will we see that there is concerted action. So you have the SMEs or MSMEs who will start up with a problem. Yeah. You have a solution. You have the investor who comes in and supports these sort of MSMEs. You have governments who can put in place the tailwinds. You have consumers who can actually react to these. Only then when you have that concerted collaborative action, can we see or can we progress in the direction where 
we can actually start thinking that this is a problem we'll be able to significantly tackle. And I'm not mm-hmm. even saying we're going to resolve plastic pollution. We're saying that we'll get to a point where we'll see that, yeah, when we're not choking up our waterways, we are not polluting the environment, and we're not seeing plastic litter and lying around. Mm. Before I let you go, Umesh, you know, um, you're obviously very passionate about this, you know, and and how do you feel at this point about, are, are you positive about the future? Are you positive about these potentially collaborative efforts we're seeing from governments, from businesses, from the general public? Do you feel positive or is there a sense of, I just wish these guys would do more? I mean, it's always a case, right? I mean, we'd all like everyone to do more and contribute faster. Yeah. And quicker, right. I mean, but it steps, the momentum is in the right direction. Yeah. Um, there is the discussion which is ongoing around the legally binding instrument. I mean, it's commonly referenced as a plastics treaty, but it is not. Yeah. Uh, but the legally binding instrument where the countries are coming together and there is concerted action to tackle the problem. So once it is, it is reached at that, it has reached at that level, you have to be optimistic. You have to say that, hey, the people realize there's a problem, there's a global problem which needs to be tackled and there is action which is happening in a collaborative manner. Yeah. Now, we've just seen the, this month, earlier this month, the zero draft of that treaty was discussed. Um, I was at the previous negotiation committee meetings in Paris and it was interesting observing how different countries have their own vested interests and how to tackle that. But I remain optimistic that this is a strong starting point. I think between 2023 and 2024, we have good tailwinds to actually uh, make use of that discussions which are happening. Mm-hmm. What encourages me is beyond government, there's a lot of action which is happening between the other stakeholders as well. Right. So people are not waiting for the governments to say that, hey, this is a big number and this is what we're working towards. There's so much hap- action which is happening on a local level, so much action mm-hmm. which is happening on a state or provincial level and within a country which gives me hope and I'm optimistic. Umesh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Pleasure. Thank you, Richard, for having me too. My pleasure too. Folks, I've been on the phone with Umesh Madhavan. He's the research director of the Circulate Initiative. Uh, He's shared with me insights from their latest report, the climate benefits of plastic waste management in India and Southeast Asia. It's not all doom and gloom. If you missed any part of this show, go and download the podcast. We recommend you use the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'll be back same time, same place tomorrow here on Enterprise on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.